morning, church family. It's a privilege to be here again, to get to speak with everyone, those who are joining us online and those who get to be here with us. Um, this week and next week, we're going to be in the book of Philemon. And there's honestly a few books in the Bible that whenever you say, we're going to be here today, get a few eyebrows raised. One might be when we're in a message of hope and Randy says, let's get into Lamentations. And you go, okay. Another might be when it's Mother's Day and your dear grandmother has come for Mother's Day and Darren says, we're going to be in Song of Songs today. Wonderful. Thank you, Darren. Another one might be Philemon, simply because that it is so short. Um, it is only one chapter. It can easily be read in just a few minutes. And really, when you read it from, end, from beginning to end, it kind of can leave you feeling a little confused as to what's What's the point? It really stands out from amongst Paul's other letters as being a little bit different, but we really believe that there are some great truths that can be gleaned from reading this book. But before I get into it, I have a quick story to share um, just to kind of get us where we need to be. Uh, most of you are aware of this, or at least some, that when I was in college, I worked for Rob Fridge. Okay? He was the CFO at the time at Drury University, and for some reason, he had me working for him. And so, one of the things I would do all the time is I would help him with concerts. He would run concerts at the O'Reilly Family Event Center, and I would help him. And I went to one concert one night. I believe it was the Ted Nugent, Ario Speedwagon, and Styx concert. So it was a big deal, okay? Some people were there. Um, towards the end of the night, I get a text message from Rob, and he says, I need you to come downstairs to the athletic director's office. And I said, okay. So I go downstairs, and I walk into the room, and Rob is sitting at this table this large round table, and it is just stacked, piles high of cash. And I was like, what are we doing, Rob? And he says, well, this is the money from the drink sales tonight, and you're going to help me count it. Okay, that sounds lovely. Let's do that. So we sat there for another hour or two just counting cash with Rob Fridge. It was a great time. I believe that was on a Friday. Then comes Monday, and I'm in my office, and I get a text from Rob, and he says, I need you to come down to my office. And I said, okay. And I go down to his office, and I go in there, and sitting on his desk is a McDonald's bag, a large McDonald's bag. And I thought this was strange, because Rob and I exclusively ate at Lucy's and Crosstown Barbecue when we were working. And so I knew, like, this is weird. Why is there a McDonald's bag here? And he says, we're going for a walk today. Okay. So we go outside, and we are walking down the street. And if you've been downtown where the, where the campus is, there's Central Street right there in between Drury and Central High School. And we are walking down the street, heading down towards the Great Southern Bank. And Rob stops, because he's clutching this McDonald's bag. He brought that with us. And he finally stops, and he says, By the way, if someone comes up and tries to take this bag from me, you need to tackle them and attack them while I run away and run to the bank. And I look at him and I said, what's in the bag, Rob? He said, oh, it's the $50,000 in cash we counted last Friday. Excellent. Wonderful. We couldn't have driven there? And he said, no, it's a lovely day out. I thought we would walk there. It was at this point that Rob and I entered into a state of conflict with one another as I felt like, Rob, I don't feel like you are taking my safety in this situation very seriously. Just two weeks ago, you made me go up on the roof with you to distract the 10,000 bees you have up there. I was like, I'm starting to see a reoccurring theme here. So much of mine and Rob's relationship while we worked was based in conflict, but that's okay. 
And unfortunately, conflict is something that seems to be a mainstream of our society these days. And we need to see ourselves a part of that. We need to see ourselves as not separated and looking out at the rest of the world and be like, oh, look how awful and dirty and filthy this world is and how conflicted it is while we are over here on our own. We need to see ourselves as we are right in the middle of it too. In Paul's letter to Philemon, there is major conflict that's going on in the church of Colossae. And that's where this letter was written. Philemon was a church leader in Colossae, and that's where this letter has gone. And there's conflict between Philemon, one of the leaders, and Onesimus, one of his former slaves. And we're not really given a lot of specific details as to the direct nature of what that conflict was. But we know it seems like it was causing some issues in the church enough that Paul would write a letter to address it. And so I'm going to read to you the latter half of the letter, verses 17 through 21, as Paul is talking to Philemon, trying to help him see what needs to be done about this conflict that has arisen between Philemon and Onesimus. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than what I have said. Paul's language here, if you really dig into the words he's using here, it's really legal terminology. It's like the same words and phrasing that almost a lawyer would use. And he's doing this for a specific reason. He's trying to demonstrate the seriousness of what he's offering to Philemon right here. This is not just a, maybe in our terms, a, hey, this person owes you money. Let me just Venmo you some money or let me just cover the lunch bill. Let me just take care of that for you. This is legal terminology where it would almost be as if, imagine someone had stolen money from you. Someone has stolen money from you, embezzled it, and you know about it, and you are about to rightfully sue them for your damages to return the money that was illegally stolen from you. But instead, a third party, someone completely unrelated to the conflict, steps in and says, no, 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 don't, don't charge him, don't sue him, name me in the lawsuit instead. Charge me. I'll pay it. It's, it's an absolute scandalous thing that Paul is saying here. He's saying, forget about what Onesimus owes you. If he does, I'll pay it. You can write, you can charge me in the lawsuit. It would be like if Rob and I had been walking down that road and someone did come up and rob us and steal the cash and run away. And then he was caught and the university was about to sue him to recover the money that he had stolen from them. But Rob steps in and says, no, don't worry about it. Sue me instead. Charge me. I'll pay it. I'll pay the fine. What Paul is doing, what's, what's very interesting here, is that when you read Philemon, one of the reasons it can be kind of a confusing and really stand out from the other letters, it is, is the only letter that does not once mention the resurrection nor the cross. Out of every letter that Paul has written, this is the only one that does not mention that, and I believe that is done on purpose, because right here in verse 19, I, Paul, write to you with my own hand, I will repay it. What he's doing is he is demonstrating that transactional application of the cross. He's not coming out and just saying, well, here's what happened on the cross, but he's acting it out himself. 
Sin was ready to crush our world, but Christ took it upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might have the righteousness of God. The cross was a non-linear moment in history, meaning it wasn't just plopped right here and it only covers going forward, but forward and back in all directions. So why study this though? Why look at Philemon? The lesson here is that I think we need a complete, and I'm really not sure if the word revelation or revolution is better here, but either a revelation, maybe then a revolution in the way that we view and treat our brothers and sisters when we have conflict. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 through 6 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, he being Jesus, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever he abides, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I read that and I wonder, do we walk like Jesus? Do we look like Jesus? I think it's so important to, again, notice that Paul doesn't stop and take time to say, here's what happened on the cross. He just demonstrates it. Do we do that? Do we act and walk like Jesus? But to answer that, I really think we need to, kind of, we need to analyze a couple things. Number one is what is our view of Jesus? What is our view of Jesus in light of his value versus the cost and the weight of the sins that have been committed? And secondly, how do we view our brothers and sisters after they've wronged us or are are in our debt or even when they are simply opposed to our ideas? If I want to know if I walk like Christ, I have to answer these questions. I have to look at these things and come to some kind of conclusion to know, do I look like Jesus? So the first one, how do I weigh the value of Jesus against the cost of sins committed? What is your view of Jesus. The Bible, in my humble interpretation, seems to be pretty clear. It refers to Jesus as precious, as a cornerstone, the firstborn of all creation. Titus 2.14 says, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possessions. 1 John 2, verse 2, which I just read, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And there is, in Acts uh, 4 verse 12 says, and there is no salvation. There is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you hear John the Baptist in, in John chapter 1 verse 29, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. On and on the Bible is trying to paint this picture for us and trying to tell us that sin was paid in full. Again, the cross not being linear, being going in all directions. A lot of us are familiar with the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of John of, it is finished, and even, even some of us are even familiar with the way that, that was translated in Greek of tetelestai. Tetelestai was meant to be this word that Jesus would proclaim to paint this picture that not only has your debt been paid, but it's been paid to such an amount that no more debt can be accrued. 
So it's not just, I've paid the debt, but the account is still open, so now I can accrue more. I can start accruing more debt. It's, I've paid the debt, and now the account is closed. It's done. It's finished. Why would he say this? Because he himself knew his infinite value, and that the weight of all sins committed there, at the cross, before the cross, and after the cross, could not diminish the weight of his own glory. So when we have conflict and sin is committed, we can't just look at these sins, and if we cannot look at these sins that maybe are committed against us or committed in the world, if we can't look at them and not see them as already being paid for, if we can't let go, if you can't let go, we diminish the value of Christ, and we ought to repent for a biblically low view of the value of Jesus. See Christ for his infinite glory and value. So then going from that, how do we view, how do I view my brothers and sisters when they've wronged me, when they've wronged us? They're in my debt. They seem opposed to me. You really need to look no further than one of the other last phrases of Jesus on the cross. As he's being nailed to the cross, he looks out and he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I don't know a more loving and understanding statement than that. And can we just reflect, can we just like reflect on that for just a minute? The people who were killing him, they hadn't even finished. They were not even done completing their act of murder. And he said, forgive them. Father, forgive them. We're called to act and walk like Christ. Paul demonstrated that here in Philemon and his offer to pay the damages against Philemon. Paul had nothing to do really with the conflict, and yet he still was willing to step in and say, I'll, I'll pay for it. It has nothing to do with me, but I'll pay for it. Can we be like this? Can we be a people that want to go out and seek reconciliation amongst our brothers and sisters, whether we're involved in it or not? We're called to be like Christ, who called for the forgiveness of his murderers. And, and I say that, and it's hard to not sit here and feel down and ashamed of, of myself and of my fellow brothers and sisters when I know that Christ called for the forgiveness of his murderers, yet we can hardly stay calm when we speak to someone who doesn't agree with us. Someone else has opposing views or ideals, and I can't stand you. When someone opposes you or disagrees with you, have they sinned either A, at all, or B, to a point where it would outweigh the value of Jesus? Can the life of Christ not cover sins and, and wrongness against you? Listen to me today. We have to come to a place where we have to strive to know that we don't have any rights, freedoms, ideals, personal views that are more precious or equal to how much we value Jesus and are zealous for his good works to do the things he asked us to do. 
My views may become flawed. My rights might be stripped. My freedom's withheld. But all these things I should count as loss compared to the glory of knowing Christ. His name is written on my heart. And my name is written on his hands. That can't be taken away. Regardless of what happens to you in spirit or in body, that cannot be taken from you. We need to take the commandments of Christ so seriously. Love God and love people. Not love people when, not love people if, but just love, love people. When I do this, I become like Christ. When I do this, people look at me and they say, that has to be what Jesus looked like. I need to try and see my brothers and sisters as loved ones, loved children of the King, and my shortcomings and their shortcomings have already been paid for. Define people by their true titles, loved ones of God. Psalm 25, verses 4 through 5, I love this part of the psalm where he says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Teach us, Lord, how to love. Can we take after Paul and can we engage in such outrageous acts of redemption, kindness, and reconciliation between people? We need to be a people that seek reconciliation across the whole world, in our own lives, yes, but also everywhere we see it. It starts in our own lives, but extends to seeking out that place in others simply because we want peace. We have to let the weight and value of Christ penetrate our hearts so we have no choice but to follow and love and be like him. And when I'm, when I'm talking about all these things, and, I'm th- and I am thinking about everything that's going on in our world, it is, it is hard. Sometimes it can feel like we alone, like that no one else has ever experienced this, that we alone live in dark and difficult times. And a lot of times it's hard to know what is right and what's easy. I take comfort in some ancient words, though, of a great teacher. Happiness can be found even in the darkest of times. If one only remembers to turn on the light. Let us love and value one another. Only then are we like Christ. Let me end just with this this passage from from Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 16. A passage that's become very near and dear to me the last several years, and especially within the last few months. Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord... Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient path where the good way is and walk in it. Ask for the good way and walk in it. I'm going to go ahead and invite Preston up as we're going to transition into our time of a question and answer over the the message that we just heard. All right. Well, thank you, Philip, for that message on uh, Philemon. As we're getting into Philemon, we're going to continue that next week. And I, I really 
appreciated what you had to say, um, setting the stage, uh, especially in regard to Paul's role as a reconciler, as a, mm -hmm. as a um, sort of a middleman between uh, Philemon and Onesimus and enacting, the, enacting who Christ is. Um, I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, the first one is, how can I participate in a, this mission of reconciliation in today's world? You talked about reconciliation mm. in your message. How can I do that today? I think one thing that comes immediately to mind is first recognizing that it's there, that the need is there. Um, it's, it can be really easy for us uh, to just kind of stay in our own, our own bubbles, you know, and if my life is going well right now, everyone's healthy, no one's sinned against me or caused me any harm, everything's good in my little world and bubble, it can be really easy just to stay there. So I think one thing is looking, is first recognizing that my life might be in order right now, but other people's may not be. And I need to go and seek those opportunities to seek that reconciliation between people, to, to try and bring peace. And again, just like Paul did, understanding that there may not be a, a direct benefit to you by trying to jump in the middle of something and trying to bring peace to a situation. You may see no benefit from that other than just knowing that you helped try to bring, try to bring peace here. So it's, I think, sometimes getting over a little bit of, of selfishness. And again, and uh, trying to really put yourself in those people's shoes because I don't think we have a place also to go around and, and try to say what demands reconciliation and what doesn't. Something may not be harming you, it may not be hurting you, but someone else may be caused great harm and grief. And that ought to draw our attention. Again, with, with Philemon, you know, whatever the conflict was between, between um, uh, Philemon and Onesimus probably really didn't involve Paul that much in terms of what happened, but so in, in, in ground in, of the Spirit of Christ is in Paul that he wants to see peace between these two people that he considers partners and brothers. So I think it's, it's going out and, and looking for them purposefully and knowing that they're there. Thank you. You also mentioned that this is the only letter where Paul doesn't specifically address the crucifixion, the resurrection. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that and the significance of that? Yeah. I think he, um, I kind of started to get into this, but he, I believe, is paint, trying to paint this picture of this is what it actually looks like to take that next step. Like, we are, we are really, really good at seeing, at seeing people and telling them, Jesus loves you, and Jesus died on the cross from you, but then stopping right there. And like, we was like, oh, I've presented the message, and I, I've told them the truth, and, and, I, and I'm stopping there. Because Paul, very, we could just, we probably could trade out some words, and Paul very well could have Instead said, hey, you have this conflict, Philemon. Don't forget that Christ died on the cross for you. Those sins have been, have been paid and forgiven. He could have said that, and he would have been, he would have been right. He would have been correct. But he chose instead to, to act it out, to go that step further, which I'm sure had to have been um, infinitely impactful to Philemon to hear Paul, not involved in the conflict, step in and say, 
I'll pay it. So it, I think it's significant because it shows that we need to be a people that are willing to actually, I mean, put faith into practice, not just have a message that we say, here's the message, but also, here's the message, but let me show it to you. Not just, Christ loves you. Christ loves you, and here's how. Let me show you that by, by loving on you. Yeah, he could, I think he even mentions, I could command this of you. Yeah, I didn't get to that part, but yeah, at the end he says, I, I could just tell you to do this. I could just tell you, hey, the, you know, the, the scriptures in our teachings from Christ say that you should forgive this person and love them and just command it. But, he, but like he says, he knows, I know in your obedience to Christ, you'll, you'll do this anyway. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, appealing to you, I think is the word that he uses. Well, good. Uh, well, thank you for that. Um, and then this is a, uh, one final question. I think the question that is plugging everybody in this auditorium, why did Rob use a McDonald's bag and not a Chick-fil-A bag? I think because if he had been carrying a Chick-fil-A bag, the percentage chance that someone would have come to snatch it out of his hand significantly increases. Ah, yes. With it being a McDonald's bag, there's at least a a, a decent chance that someone's going to look at that thing and say, maybe not. All right. Well, we uh, again thank you for your thank you for your message this thank morning. Um, next week we're going to continue this discussion on the Book of Philemon, and uh, you know Philip did a good job of introducing it, focusing specifically on Paul and his role in writing this short letter and how it is so different from the normal um, the, the normal epistles that he writes to churches. This is to an individual. Uh, with a specific intent. Uh, Next week, we're going to focus more on the Philemon-Onesimus relationship, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that, the nature of their relationship, and uh, it's going to, I think, going to carry over from very Mm -hmm. well from what Philip talked about as far as Paul, Paul being Christ to them. Now, what is the response for us um, as, as Christians, what does it look like to walk in Christ in, in the midst of a broken world? So thank you for thank you. your message this morning. Uh, we're going to now transition into a time of communion. We're going to have a song uh, before we take a